the thing in common, the thing that binds together all these readings today is our appetite, our acquisitiveness, our desire to have, to hold, and to possess, and to accumulate over and over again. And no matter how much we have, we want more. Maybe we have the biggest house on the street, but we'd like to have the biggest house in town. Um, we're always looking for something greater, something more. The appetite, the hunger, the, 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 the desire to have that is in our hearts is a huge desire, and it works vigorously and always. And we know how much we put into having things the way we want them, having the things we want, and to always achieving something greater and something bigger, something more. No one becomes completely satisfied, uh, or almost no one becomes. There's only one way to become completely satisfied, and that's ultimately what Jesus te is teaching us about today. But outside of that one way of becoming completely satisfied, there is no other way. You will not ultimately end up being satisfied with what you've got because that appetite is not fulfilled. That appetite continues to desire and to want. I always remember back from when I got my first bike and I thought my first bike was absolutely cool until another kid from the neighborhood came up with a better bike. And all of a sudden, my bike wasn't so cool anymore. I wanted that bike and so on and so on and so on. Eventually it became a motorbike, a car, whatever. The appetite of the human being is always like that. It wants the best. It wants the best. You know, it was only uh, late, it was only late in the Middle Ages and entering the classical period that uh, artists learned to trace the lines of convergence and therefore really to be able to draw a picture accurately of a building to take into account that vanishing point uh, towards which all the lines in a drawing converge. And, you know, an artist needs to know exactly how to do that, how to map those lines. If we were to take the lines of the human appetite and map them, where is the human appetite pointing? At what is the human, where is the converging point where all the lines in our human appetite come together? Well, there, my friends, we would find, we would find ultimately the infinite. Our desires are infinite. Our desires converge at infinity. Um, our desires ultimately, we would say, converge on God. Our famous quote that we've so often said that is in a certain sense a, a it's a snapshot of the human soul and it's true for every single human soul. That's why we can repeat it so, so often and we recognize in it so much truth. And our famous phrase is, our hearts are made for you, O God, and they will not rest until they rest in you. That again points to this vanishing point, this point of infinity at which the desires of the human heart are converging. And that's why the bigger, the better bike, uh, the bigger house, the more, the, the corner office, uh, and all those things, that's why they all that they all are objects of desire because that desire is not going to stop. It is not going to be satisfied, as St. Augustine said, that rest 
about which, which St. Augustine speaks. Our hearts are made for you, O God. They will not rest. That rest means satisfaction. They will not have satisfaction until they have that satisfaction in you. So the new bike, the new car, the new house, um, even, even the person that I met, that I love, um, for the young people who may be on the journey, enjoying the journey of first love, it's an extraordinary and a beautiful thing. But once again, it, it only becomes true and real in that ultimate horizon. That's why marriage becomes a sacrament. And that's why God is caught up. Why should God be caught up in the relationship between a man and a woman? Precisely for that reason. It's the same thing. It's the fact that human desire, all of human desire, uh, converges in God. And therefore, unless the relationship between a man and a woman has as its ultimate point of convergence, God, then it will not work. It will not work. You're not enough for me. A husband and a wife need to say to each other at some point in their marriage pre pre preparation, you're not enough for me. Not as a put down, but as a recognition that unless you and I are together for that destiny, for that ultimate converging point, then ultimately we will tear each other apart. Ultimately we will tear each other apart. It's only when that convert point of convergence is at the very center of that most precious relationship from which all life comes, all human life comes, the relationship between a man and a woman, that that relationship becomes sanctifying, great, and beautiful. That's why marriage is a sacrament. But that's a parenthesis, because I want to go back now to the main theme, which is to say that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, we're in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, and this sixth chapter of John's Gospel will lead us soon to the institution of the Eucharist, to the, to the gift, to, the, to Jesus telling us about the great gift of the Eucharist with which he is going to leave his church, with which he will endow his church as the center and the heart of the life of the church, so that, just like the man and the woman whose converging point must be in Christ, so to our lives, our lives. That's the one thing. There are a lot of things I'm not very fond of, of this church. Um, I mean, it is a beautiful church because it's where we gather. But the thing I do like is the way everyone is looking at the altar. And that, that, that is a beautiful thing because it symbolizes the fact that the Eucharist in the presence of the life of the church is exactly that infinite vanishing point at which the human desire converges. In the Eucharist, we have the converging point of human desire. And therefore, as we come up the aisle together, we are united. As we sit in our seats, each one facing the altar from where we're sitting, our eyes converge on that point. And that point is the point that makes everything else take its proper place, makes everything else enter into the, onto the horizon in a way that's good and true and beautiful. The people of Israel, uh, in the first reading, we saw them falling into the same thing. They averted their eyes from the will of God and the plan of God, and they concentrated on their flesh pots, 
their fruit and their uh, the produce of the land that they enjoyed when they were in uh, Egypt. And they take their gaze off God. And they no longer want God. And they revile their leadership who wants to lead them in the relationship with God. Um, and then St. Paul tells us that we need to leave behind that narrow, small vision. We need to free ourselves from being possessed by the things that we are made to possess. We are made to possess the world. Jesus gave the world to man. He gave it as a gift to man. But the way we so often live, we are possessed by the things. And the things cannot possess us. The created things cannot possess us. So when we put our heart, our hope, our confidence um, in these created things, we do exactly what the people of Israel did. We choose what is smaller than us and we become its servants. No, the only true and great freedom is that freedom that comes when everything takes its place in the service of our Lord and God. Everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that is ours, even if we've accumulated much, it all must serve our purpose. And if it doesn't serve our purpose, it's very, it's clear, it's obvious. If it doesn't serve our purpose, then it's betraying us. And we've, we're like a fish that grabbed the fly. And there was a hook in there. And now we've lost our freedom because our possession, our grasping has made us unfree. Jesus himself will point himself out as that vanishing point of human desire, that converging point of human desire in the midst of the world. He has come into the world. He tells these people who were fed uh, from the five loaves uh, and the two fishes the day before that they are looking for the wrong thing, that they are, they are, they are losing their life, losing their life minute by minute, not because someone kills them, but because minute by minute is lived in that great word that St. Paul uses, futility. They're living their lives in futility. And then they see, they see this, and they say, so how can we do what God wants then? And he says, to do what God wants is to accept me, Jesus, this one who is here present. This is how we do the will of God. It's a very simple thing. We don't have to remember a thousand commandments or 660 laws as the people of Israel had to remember. All we have to do is keep our eyes fixed on Christ, on Christ present through the mystery of the church, which he founded as the guide to lead us on that journey, to bring us on that journey to the fullness of life. So there is, my friends, a need for conversion for us too. We need to be with the people of Israel in the desert and hear the call of God and Moses to follow. We also need to be with the people in the gospel who are clamoring for bread. And even when Jesus points out that they are um, clamoring for the wrong thing, they want a, they, they start clamoring for another miracle because they really do want that bread. They, they're not willing to be freed from that desire and to attach themselves instead to the great desire in which bread and everything else 
will take its proper place. Let us ask that we, as we hear these words today, may be freed from all undue attachments and that we may cling to that thing which is the only source of life, joy, and freedom. <laughs>